Good morning. It's nice to uh, be here in this place of worship on such a gorgeous day and to see so many of you. I'm thankful that we have uh, the ability to be together. Okay, so we are finally at the last chapter of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22. And where we pick up in verse 6, um, it's the conclusion now, the epilogue in a sense. And we see an interaction between John and an angel, the, the angel that's been showing him up until now, all of these visions. And I have this picture of of um, John with the angel, and, and maybe this is just uh, my own mental picture. I certainly don't claim any any authority about this, but where John was standing with this angel and in a sense, almost as if the sky just opened up and there were the visions and the different things that he would see. And the last thing that he would have seen was the city, the new Jerusalem uh, descending and then being shown into the uh, the water of the river of life and the tree and so on. And so then we pick up in verse 6, um, just after he is uh, finished being shown this vision. So let's read from chapter, verse 6 through to 21, the entire chapter. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard, when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, see thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he, will, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book." He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It's appropriate, and, and it was actually a literate, literal uh, literary uh, tool that um, 
writers would often use, is that as the book began, so the book ends. And I don't know if any of you noticed that um, the first three verses that we read, 6, 7, and 8, actually echo what was said at the very beginning of Revelation. Um, the first verse of uh, Revelation chapter 1 Echoes verse 6, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. So even as we were introduced to this book, this great unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, the, we see these things. Uh, it's, it's the things that are going to come. And the angel was the guide through them. Uh, similarly, uh, verse 7 or, uh, yeah, verse 7 uh, echoes verse 3 of first, uh, the first chapter. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. And then verse 8 begins even as verse 9 did. It says, I, John. So again, John identify himself. These things were significant then, and they're significant at the end. Um, these are the things that are shortly going to come to pass. Um, and uh, these are the things that we are told, that he that readeth and hear the words of this prophecy, keep those things which are written therein, it says at the beginning. And it's very similar to what we read now, about keeping the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So in verse 6 it says, And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. This is the angel now speaking. And he says, And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servant these things which must shortly be done. So these things are faithful and true. It says trustworthy. So you can rely upon these things. In an age right now when we have um, uh, relative truth in the postmodern uh, philosophy of the world, this is something that you can hold on to as being faithful, that you can rely upon this. And it's true, it says. It conforms to fact. It is free from falsehood. It is exact. The things that are written here aren't just a good guess. They're not a ballpark kind of estimate of what's going to happen. These are true. They are exact. Um, and they are uh, from the hand of God. The authority of God says, And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel. So this was directly from the Lord God himself. The authority of the Most High is the one who is putting his stamp of truth upon this. You know, in this time now, especially I was looking over some of the paperwork for the agenda tomorrow that our, our, our council is going to be going over to determine mass and so on. You have authority being appealed to on all these different avenues. Uh, some journalists and some doctors and some this and some that. And here we have something that we can hold on to. The authority of the Most High has declared that these things are true and these things are faithful. And God, being all present, present in the past, present in the future, He doesn't just project and say, I think these things are going to happen. God, at this very moment, is witnessing those things happening. As He did even when John was writing these things 2,000 years ago. The authority that God has comes from His omnipresence, that He is all places at all times, future and past. It says, Behold, I come quickly. Now, these are the words of Jesus, although they're not written in red in, in the King James. It says here, Behold, I come quickly. Quickly. What does it mean to be quickly? Because, you know, if, if, if we're honest, quickly, I didn't think quickly would be 2,000 years. But so far, we're at 2,000 years since these words would have been spoken. And it says, I come quickly. And so the word is tacho, and it, uh, it does speak of speedily, quickly, but it also uh, speaks of imminence. 
It also speaks of a suddenness. And I, I think this is how we have to understand this. I come quickly. In God's time, He is coming. A time that not you or I know. Maybe we don't understand the, the relativeness of time to God. But He says quickly, I'm coming when I will come. When I determine that time is full, that is when I come. And not a moment sooner. And it says one of the part of the definition of, of this word is without delay. Nothing will delay the coming of Christ. Nothing. Nobody dictates to him when time is full. Nobody dictates to him where he can and cannot go. And maybe this is more poignant to us because everybody's dictating to us now what we can and cannot do. But nobody does that to God. Nobody does that to the Christ. He says in verse 7, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Keepeth is, is to attend to carefully. Um, the sayings or the logos, the word of the prophecy of this book. Not only the things that it says that we ought to do, and there are things that it says that we ought to do, especially to the address of the, in the first three chapters to the churches. You know, it's, it's calling them to faithfulness, to perseverance, um, and so on. And further on, we hear the call to the saints to endure patiently. But it's not just those actual doing things that it's telling us to observe, to uh, keep, but it's the sayings there too. And, and this is, I have to tell you, the, the thing that surprised me the most as I was going through the book of Revelation is how profoundly the knowledge of the things to come, but more so even the things that are, the, the vision of Jesus in the throne room in chapter 5 and, and the call, the hopelessness when they looked for somebody who was worthy and they found nobody until the risen Jesus came and took up the scroll. And that idea, that, that picture of him, the truth that we know that he is the one who is worthy and that he is in command and that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, that has so profoundly affected me. Even in a time like this, it has been such a, a, an important part for me to remember that you can do whatever you want to me physically, but you can never, ever take me out of God's hand because he is the ruler of this world. And any power that anybody claims is merely given to you by the one who is in absolute control. And I, my heart needs to know that. And I suspect that all of us, we need to keep that saying. We need to keep the truth. The truth that the man of lawlessness is defeated. Even though for a time he may be raging. But he is defeated. The beast and, and the serpent and all of those characters are cast into the lake of fire. And there is no chance that they are going to usurp authority. We need to keep those words. We need to keep the truth of the prophecy of this book. It's so important to us. It's so important to me. Let me say that. And I hope that it's so important to you. Verse 8 says, And I, I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto unto me, See thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. And if thy brethren, the prophets, and of them... And of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the book. It says the final word, the, the word that he says. He says, don't do these things. What are you doing? Like, ah, get up. Come on. I'm just one of you. Worship is of God only. And this is something that we all have to uh, always keep in check in our own hearts, in our own minds, too. Um, 
it, this is actually very similar to verse uh, chapter 19, where just after he saw an, another great vision, I believe it was of the uh, city Babylon and its destruction, he again worshipped, he fell down at the angel, and again, same thing. He said, worship God. Um, Colossians tells us, worship of angels is not permitted, even though they may be majestic and, and out of this world and, 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 you know, causing us to fall down almost in a sense of fear and admiration. We are not to worship them, Colossians 2.18 says. But John tells us how we ought to worship. This is not an emotional thing. This is not, I'm swept up in the moment. Because imagine this, and all of you little ones, I want you to picture what the angel must have looked like. And we all have pictures of angels in our minds and so on. But just imagine what this angel must have looked like. And the glory of the things that he showed them, like this incredible narrative of the things to come. And then John emotionally got up in, in the, the beauty, especially of, of the last things he saw, which were the new Jerusalem and, and the eternal presence of God. And he just enraptured perhaps, and he falls down to worship. The, the, the flesh got all wrapped up in, in what he was experiencing, and he fell down to worship. But God says it's not about the carnal. It's not about being caught up in the things. It's not about the emotional. It's about the reality. It's about the things that you have to trust in faith. It says in John chapter 4, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Don't get all hung up on on the, the outward appearance of worship, the form of worship, the, 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 the doings of worship. True, uh, worship of the Father is in spirit and in truth. And we need to know the truth, first of all, to worship. And and the, the idea of worship, and I should have looked this up more carefully, but actually I did look it up and I found it very interesting. Um, when a dog, if you look at the word for worship, when a dog comes to its master and, and is licking it, and, 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 and I don't know how many of you are familiar with dogs. I know Ben and Jeff, you guys would certainly be familiar with this. But the dogs will come up to you and they just love on you and they're licking and they're adoring you. And that's what we should be doing. In spirit and in truth. We should be adoring. We should be falling down before God. Because we know who He is. And we know how magnificent He is. And how uh, uh, awesome and majestic He is. And we should be worshipping Him. But not just in our, our approach to Him. But in the way we live our lives. That if He is who He says He is. If that is true. Then I need to live my life in humility. And there comes the wisdom as I fear God for his magnificence and his glory. Let that determine how I live my life. Let's move on. Verse 10. And he said unto me, seal. Now this is again the angel continuing to speak to John. And he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. The specific time is imminent now. The things that I'm talking to you about right now. The things that I've addressed to the church. That I've showed you about the church. And the words that Jesus gave you. These things are imminent right now. Don't seal this book up. You need to look at this. You need to deal with this. This comes, you know, all of us, we need to not run away from revelation. 
and, and, you know, put it off into that place of a kind of mysterious and a too much for me. No, we need to um, keep this book and, and recognize it, open it, look at the things and, and realize that this is here. It's now. The time is now for this. The time is at hand, it says. You know, Daniel was also given similar words, but the opposite. It says, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Even to the time of the end. The things that Daniel was writing about were not to be understood at that time in their fullness until the end. And here, as we went through Revelation, we suddenly saw so many of those things that Daniel spoke about. We're like, aha, I get it now. Now I understand. But even John was told in chapter 10 about the seven thunders. When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Basically, it's none of your business what they said, people. That was for John and John alone to see. That was not for us. Perhaps one day we will know what the thunders uttered, but it's not for us now. But the things that are for us now, the, the book of prophecy, those are the things that we need to feed on. Those are the things that we need to open up and to be looking at and saying, I need this, I want to understand this, I want to see what significance this has for life. Following right on that, that, for the time is at hand, he says in verse 11, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Now what is God saying here through this, uh, these words here? Is he saying that um, the time of repentance is done? If you're, if you're filthy, you're filthy. That's it, sorry. The door is closed. Or is he saying that, uh, don't even bother? Like, uh, you know, it's not for you? As I was pondering on these things and trying to research, you know, what, what is out there? Like, how do we understand this? You know, there's certain uh, thoughts. Is this speaking of two groups? Is this speaking in a, a broader sense of good and evil? Um, that never changes. Because even at the very end, we see that good and evil as groups of people are still separated. Some are those who were cast into the uh, lake of fire, uh, and they are outside the city. And then there's the other group, the good group, in a sense, those who were faithful and obedient, who are inside the city. And so is this really pointing out that the unjust are going to be unjust, even into eternity? And the righteous and the holy are still going to be holy? Is this speaking of the fruits? Is this speaking of, if you, uh, you know, this idea that... Um, some people have, like, oh, I'm going to live my life completely immoral, but I'm going to still make it to heaven. And we hear that all the time at the funeral home. A person could be heinous in the things that they have done. And yet, we speak of them as if they're sitting with God in all of His holiness, having a beer or something like that. It's just so perverted and so twisted. And yet, people think this way. As if, no, 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 no. I'm going to be wicked and evil, and, and, and I'm going to be good. And this is to say, no, it's not that way at all. If you are unjust, you are going to be unjust. You're going to bear the fruits of unjust, which is damnation. And another way that we could also look at this is that you have made your choice and you will live with it eternally. Right now, the time is at hand. Each of us has a choice before us. Each of us has choices before. How do we live our lives? Are we going to be unjust? Are we going to be filthy? 
are we going to be righteous? Are we going to pursue this holiness? Are we going to try to be holy here? You will live with those choices eternally. So choose well. Daniel 12 verse 10 says, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. Almost in a sense that if you are part of that group, you are going to be part of that group. And you will do what is part of that group. But it's not condemning men and women to forever be part of that group. You are called to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. So now we want to move into verse 12. Because now verse 12 finishes, in a sense, the conversation that John had with the angel. And now it moves on to the true, in a sense, epilogue of of Revelation, the book of Revelation. And it brings an invitation and a warning to the hearers. Now, this was not just for the circuit of seven churches that John was instructed to send these letters to, but it was for all believers. It's for all those in those churches, plus all believers uh, that would ever hear these things, you and I included. And, he, and Jesus says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his works, as his works shall be. Isaiah chapter 40 speaks, Behold, the Lord will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule before him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his works before him. Very similar, Isaiah 62 uh, speaks like this. Jesus is saying, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming imminently. At any moment I could be there, and my reward is with me. Now, he doesn't say his damnation is with him, but it's understood. But my reward is with me. And to those who uh, have lived faithful lives and are believers and have uh, become kingdom citizens and lived their lives according to the truth that they have here, they will be judged. And I don't know if we, we often think, you know, to, that we're not going to be judged, but there is a judgment that comes to them. And it's, it's spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And even in 1 Corinthians uh, 3 8, it talks of his own reward. But it's not a judgment of, uh, in a sense, you're in or out. This is a judgment that speaks of the rewards. The rewards that Jesus is coming to give to his faithful. And, and the scriptures oftentimes speak of the rewards that the, the believers would inherit. But the other side of that, which we read in Revelations chapter 20, speaks of a great judgment as well. And in a weird way, but yet it's still true, this is the reward for those who have rejected God. And the reward, it says, And I saw the dead... Small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So there is a judgment coming, and there is going to be a reward coming. Just like the wage of sin is death, the reward for rejection of Christ is also condemnation, is judgment. Jesus says in verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now we see this um, referenced uh, in Isaiah 41 as some examples. I won't read them because our time is short. 44, uh, Isaiah 44, 48 as well. And um, even in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, we uh, we look at this. It says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord. 
This is the Lord saying this. The references in Isaiah 41, 44, 48. These are of the Lord saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first letter. I am the last letter. And everything that comes in between belongs to me. And I am it. I am the... Um, the ultimate, when it comes to uh, the uh, existence, I'm the first, I'm the last. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'm the creator of all things. There is nothing that is above. There is nothing that was before. There is nothing that is after. Jesus, or in these verses here, God is the ultimate. And you know what? Jesus now says, I am also the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And let anybody who claims that the sovereignty of Christ, that he is not divine, this verse, and among others, will say that is not true, and you need to repent of that. Jesus puts himself on the the same level, claiming the same authority and uh, the same stature as the Lord himself. Verse 14, we need to keep moving. Verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. There's, it's interesting, as I was reading this, because I sometimes I'll have different versions uh, of the scripture open, different translations, and I'm going along and, and I say, Blessed are those who wash their robes. And then when I reference back to my King James, it says, Those that do his commandments. I'm like, Whoa, there's a difference here. What's the difference? What's the nuance here that's different? King James says, blessed are they that do his commandments. Why? That they may, or so that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Clearly, this is talking about the, um, entrance into the city, the new Jerusalem. This is salvation. This is the end when their, when their parting happens between those who are saved and those who are damned happens. This is those who are going into the city who are the children of God. And it says, they that do his commandments. And so, lest we ever think that, oh, well, then I need to be really, really busy doing his commandments and, and, and take on a legalistic approach to how do we live our lives? Um, how do we achieve, in a sense, that eternal reward? Listen to what First John says about what his commandments are. And this is his commandment, it says in First John chapter 3. Verse 23, that they should, this is his commandment, that they should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has given us commandment. That is the commandment, brothers and sisters, that we need to be about. That is the commandment to all of those who are wondering to themselves, how do I avail myself of salvation? How do I go from being that one who is filthy and and, and corrupt to becoming one who is righteous and holy? How do I make that transition? Because I don't know how to do it. And if you get stuck on that, do his commandments, you are in desperate circumstances because you can never, ever do enough. You can never ever be good enough that you will become a child of God. That he will say, oh, the good outweighs the bad. The sin that you have done which deserves death, you have been so good, you have kept the commandment so good, that I'm going to just wipe the slate clean. Never. You cannot do it. The only way, the absolute only way that we can truly uh, fulfill the commandments, truly come to that place of eternal salvation is through the belief in his son Jesus.
If we look at how the other manuscripts are, some of the, because it, it changes on a manuscript level, but the other version of how you say it is, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. And so we see this, this reference of washing of robes. Um, Revelations chapter 7 said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So here clearly referencing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, taking away the stains from um, our garments, from the, the clothing that we have. It's, and that's not the clothing like this sort of clothing. I have plenty of stains on these. No, but the clothing that is, is the covering of our life. Just like the, the prodigal son, when he came to the father, the father put a new cloak on him. He put righteousness on him. He took, covered up the filth of, of his former life. And he says, now you're new. It's a new start. It's these same robes that are, are wiped clean that become pure white by the blood of the lamb. Through the the uh, wiping of the slate. In Revelations chapter 3, uh, verse 4, speaking of the church of Sardis, it says, um, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And this is referencing, the again, the washed robes. Um, the soil clothes represent the defection from Christ through unbelief and worship. So the robes become dirty when we do when we leave Christ, when we leave the to worship of the Son, faith in the Son, and we try to perhaps present ourselves in a different way, put on our own righteousness. John chapter 20 says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is now speaking of this faith in Christ um, that was referenced in First John. Uh, so that ye may believe in Jesus as is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So what is it that, that takes you from being condemned, judged out of the book of works, the books that will be opened, to having your name put in the book of life? Because this really is the whole point, right? When, when we looked at the judgment here, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The last chapter, uh, chapter 21. And there shall in no wise enter in, into it, speaking of the city, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so how do we go from being lost to becoming found? It says of, of the gospel, this is now the gospel message. This is the message that Jesus Christ came to the earth and took upon himself the flesh and that he um, was willing and offered himself up as a sacrifice so that his death, he gave his life to pay for the debt of your sin so that your sin, which is heaped up before God, could be wiped away. And how does that happen? Because that happened, but somehow, how do you avail yourself of that? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Faith is believing. Faith is trusting. So by your trust, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The faith that we have in the Son, as it said in 1 John 
That you should believe on the name of his son, Jesus. And not just believe on his name, but that entails believe in what he did. Believe that who he says he is, he is. And that your life is lived according to that then. That's a true evangelical faith that, that changes us, that transforms us. And that comes from believing in Jesus. Having that faith in him. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, For if... For he has made him to be sin for us, Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin. He was perfect, that he, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's an exchange that happens. Jesus says, I will take upon you the sin, upon myself, the sin of the world, and I will take all of your sin and I will pay for it. And all you need to do is trust. All you need to do is have that faith in me. And then God, through his grace and mercy, will look at you as righteous. My righteousness will cover you. And finally, John chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Those who have faith in the Son, those who believe in him. It says in verses 15 and 16, For without our dogs and sorcerers, whoremongers and murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So that's those who clearly are of the, that not redeem those who do not have faith. And on all the things, and and dogs is probably a reference to Philippians chapter 3 that speaks of the false teachers. So in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now these are references, Old Testament references that Jesus is claiming. The root of the offspring of David. He was clearly from the lineage of David. So he was a Messiah of the Jews. They would definitely identify with him as their Messiah because he was the the prophesied uh, Messiah to come. And he was of the lineage of David. And it says here, and the bright and morning star. Now also in Numbers 24, he was uh, called the star of Jacob. But interestingly enough, the morning star also has a second meaning, or an alternative, not an alternative, but more, there's more to it than just that. Not that there needs to be, but it says also that the light of dawn approaches and the morning star announces the start of a new day. So this is the herald of a new dawn. And Jesus, his Resurrection, his arising to power is the start of a new day, a day of, of mercy and, and redemption. And finally, verse 17, not finally, but in verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that a thirst is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. We see here that the Spirit and the Bride, so clearly the Holy Spirit, the the redeemed of the, the Bride, the Church, they long for him to come. Jesus has said, Behold, I come. What's our response? We as the Church, do we long for the return of the Savior? Do we long for him to come? If you knew that Jesus was coming, right, you know, this afternoon... How many of you would book it out of here and go home and clean up a little bit first? How many of us would perhaps have to do that mental checklist and like, uh-oh. And the spirit and the bride say, come. We need to look for, welcome him. So let us live our lives in such a way that the imminent return of Christ will not catch us asleep. 
Him that heareth. Is this referring perhaps to the understanding, the, the, the intellectual, the, under, the, under, the, um, the mind? With our minds, with our, our intellect, we say, come, we welcome him. And with our thirst, as the deer, uh, says uh, the psalm, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. Is this what it's talking about, this thirst that is in us? Do we have that thirst? And now this is something that you can't do. This is something that has to be done in you. And it's a, I, it's a, a checklist that I have to always run through in my life, and I ought to more and more, is do I thirst? Do I have that longing for him to come? When I think about these verses, does that give me joy? This last portion of this verse, it says, Let him and whosoever will, this universal call, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Referencing Isaiah chapter 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. I don't know why, I, I, I could dissect this a bit more, but this has always touched something deep in me. This idea that the most precious thing, the most desirable thing is free. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. There is no uh, rich or poor because it is available to all. And, and so is this water of life that Jesus offers. He says in John 4, 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And again in Revelation chapter 21, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the water, the fountain of the water of life freely. So what Isaiah prophesied, we now have this hope that we can have the water of life freely, without money, without price. It has nothing to do with you and your ability. Nothing to do with what you may bring to the table in a sense. What you bring before God. It is free. Let him take the water of life freely. Verses 18 and 19, I'm not going to spend much time on them because it, uh, it, to spend a whole bunch of time on these could be another whole sermon. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Basically, the angel is warning, don't add to this or else God will add to you the plagues that are written therein and don't take away. And now this could be, you know, from here in the pulpit. Do we, um, who have been given the, the privilege of, of preaching the word, do we ever feel that we need to add something to it or maybe maybe take something away even just the the fact that we so often don't preach in revelation is this perhaps denying uh what the angel is saying here in verse 9 we're taking away from the books of this prophecy it's clear do not do that we could explore that and unpack that but for another time perhaps finally verse 20 says he which testifiest these things saith surely I come quickly. Jesus is answering. 
To all of the the, the bride and the spirit, those that hear and long for the water, long to for him to come, he says, I come quickly. Again, this call of imminence, this suddenly, without delay, Jesus says, I come quickly. And you know, for many of us, uh, I know in evangelical circles, how many of us grew up fearing the rapture, fearing that time when Jesus would come? You know, I always had people in my mind, I thought, okay, if that person goes, I'm in trouble. But he says here, surely I come quickly. Are we going to be ready? Are we longing for that? It says, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Can we say that? And the grace, verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Not just this book, but the very, the whole book, the canon of scripture starts with grace. We see in the garden the sin of mankind and how God so graciously provided for them there already. When he could have condemned and and kicked them out and, and destroyed humanity, he provides for them in grace, mercy, and love by already at that point sending his son. It was already prophesied and he covered them up. He covered their shame, their sin in anticipation of that time when Jesus would come and put on eternal white robes. That's an appropriate place to finish. And so let's finish there. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.